reactions about getting gifts and whatnot. <clears throat> this is a true story. I saw somebody get a gift for a Christmas present, and their face said very clearly they didn't like it. <clears throat> what was interesting is at some event the following year, that gift showed up again from that person to someone else. So that's another idea. So if you get something you don't like, just keep it. Act like you're excited, just keep it. Wrap it back up later and give it to somebody else. And they'll think you're wonderful for the most part. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, uh, what about this past Sunday? An amazing, amazing service. And again, I applaud our staff. Uh, things were done so excellent. And there was a spirit of worship here uh, Sunday that I, I don't think I've ever felt on a Christmas service, a designated Christmas service. And I really appreciate everyone that contributed to that service. And uh, I thought it was very well done. And uh, I salute everyone that had a part in it. I want to go ahead and jump into Bible study tonight. <clears throat> At the very beginning of next year, in 2020, uh, we'll have a communion service. As a matter of fact, it'll be the first Sunday uh, of 2020. We've been doing this now for several years. We just want to start off the year with just solid acknowledgement and commitment to God's cause and purpose in our life. And um, I have deemed it necessary uh, to take advantage of this Wednesday night uh, to teach on the communion service. So I would like to begin reading tonight from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. The Bible said, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. I read that passage yesterday. I'm going to just stop for a moment. Um, it's not in my Bible study at all. I just want to say in passing. When he said, "Drink all, the, drink ye all of it. Don't leave any. Don't leave any left over." Um, I think he was telling them clearly that if you're going to take me at all, take all of me. You just don't pick the piece, bits and pieces that that you think are pertinent and necessary. If I present myself to you, then you take all of me. Verse 28, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then I want to read tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 20. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. That means as a time of fellowship and just frivolous get-together. For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper. You eat usually before you come, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. He has given the church at Corinth a very strict rebuke over their attitude and treatment of the communion service. Verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, 
that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Everybody say unworthily. Everybody say unworthily again. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, for he eateth, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, everybody say unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." I want to title this to, tonight just, just so it can be relevant and easily understood. I just want to title this tonight, The Communion Service. <clears throat> the word unworthy means unfit. The word unworthy means unfit. The word unworthily means irreverent or irreverently. I've heard people all of my life read this passage and say, well, I can't take communion because I'm not worthy. The Bible didn't say anything about being worthy. It's worthily. It's two different words. Does everybody understand that? Unworthily, Paul said. Unworthily means irreverent. Irreverence deals with attitude and does not deal with personally being fit or not. The only way unfit, unfit can come into this picture is when we consider the bread and the fruit of the vine as something, for example, as a party or a social gathering or as frivolous fellowship or food that we partake of that we just enjoy eating because it is so good. That's irreverently. And that makes a person unfit when you show up at a communion service for that purpose. Or if you approach the communion service and act unchrist-like with each other when you're partaking in communion. I'm not going to give a lot of illustration here tonight because I have a lot of material to cover. But I remember when we pastored in Youngstown, something happened in a communion service that, that literally ruined it for me as a pastor because I called everyone up to the front. It was a much smaller church than this. So it was easy to see everybody and that kind of thing. And had preached my heart out that night. It was a Sunday night. And uh, communion was the altar service. And uh, our youth minister at that church just started giggling to beat the band. And he was 
had his head down, holding the bread, holding the fruit of the vine, and was just laughing so hard his shoulders were shaking, and it just spread right down the line both ways. People started laughing. I almost shut it down and said, we're not going to have communion, but I don't like to do that because people oftentimes feel like, well, you're punishing everybody else for something he was doing, but it just completely disrupted the thing. And to me, it was so disrespectful. I don't care what's happening at the moment during a communion service, and I want everybody here to understand it. It's not funny. I can't think of anything that would be funny. If a kid does something cute or an adult does, it's not funny until it's over. You stand at the foot of the cross and find something funny, okay? And laugh about it. So when church was over, I went straight to him and I said, I would like to know what you thought was so comical at that moment. He said, look at my feet. He said, I got dressed for church tonight in the dark and I put on two different shoes. And I didn't notice it until I looked down. And I said, the next time you do something so stupid, don't do it during communion. You stand there and you reverence the atmosphere, the environment, and you save your laughter to later. Besides that, it went down the line and you just kind of kill that whole thing. Needless to say, I don't know that he ever wore two different kinds of shoes to church again, much less to a communion service. But I, I, I guess I'm old-fashioned enough. I never thought I'd be old enough to ever say that. But I guess I'm old-fashioned enough to believe that in all of our cotton candy church world and church culture and all that that's going on now, the Bible is still the Bible on everything, including communion. <clears throat> so when being unfit is because of disrespect for the meaning, the meaning behind it, not because we are people who are not good enough. Paul was not speaking about people who were not good enough in this passage when he rebuked the Corinthians for receiving the communion unworthily. Look at what he spoke about. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, said, When you come together, therefore, to one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, or to have a big party. For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper. You eat before you come, usually. And if potentially another one's hungry, so you just come to eat. Or another is drunken, and you don't get the point of what's going on here. He said, what is the matter with you? And this is Murphy interpretation. Have you not houses to eat and drink in? I mean, you all, you all own homes and you have food in your house. You feed your flesh as you normally would before you come to partake in the communion service. You don't come to communion service to eat. Now, that's not applicable to us. If anybody is showing up to eat that little old wafer, it's about big around as a dime. And that little old, I don't know how much is in it, that little old cup. If you're coming to eat that, you're in bad shape. And if that's the reason, we'll take up an offering for you and, and we'll, we'll feed you something a little bit better. It's not the food. It's not the drink. It's what it symbolizes that we need to understand. So he said, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? He said, I praise you not. It is interesting that people get the idea that we are personally unfit due to not being good enough. 
when they witness the communion supper, especially in many other church services. I know someone that's very special in my life that I never saw this person partake in communion all of my life. The person died without ever partaking of communion because they thought they were not good enough. That is not what the Bible is saying. Where is this idea present that said the people were not good enough in and of themselves? If that was the case, Paul would have said things such as this. When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one of you are losers, and you make mistakes in your life now and then, and you commit sins occasionally. And though you repent, you commit them again. You think bad thoughts throughout the day and lose your temper and you cannot make yourself perfect and your flesh does not empower you to do enough good things in your lives. You commit more bad things and good things. If Paul was talking about people being unworthy, this is what he would have said. Does the word irreverently have anything to do with the, the, what I just said and the way most people think of whether or not they should uh, partake in, in communion? irreverently or unworthily describes a bad attitude when doing, when doing something. It's disrespect. Most people, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that had a bad attitude towards communion. I don't know that I've ever met anybody that had a, a disrespectful attitude. Uh, across the board, Grace Church, uh, uh, I don't ever remember noticing anyone that, that came up here and passed through the line uh, to get to partake in communion was up here just giggling and having a good time and being irreverent and saying, hey, give me four or five of them things. I'm hungry. Nobody's ever done that. People have, typically they have the most, utmost respect for the communion service. Um, but most people, or I say, let me rephrase. There's a lot of people that feel that they are personally unfit and unworthy to take part because they are not perfect people. So they do not violate anything Paul said about this at all. When a person cares about their attitude and reverence and respect and truly cares whether or not they are good enough, they have a perfect reverence for the occasion. So if you are so concerned about yourself that you very carefully approach the issue and analyze your life, then you have the most utmost reverence for it all. It's only when someone laughs and jokes about it and simply thinks of it as uh, uh, getting a bit of food because they're hungry or they felt better than others in the church and they feel more worthy than anyone else in the church and, and they, they choose to participate in cliques and, and come up with all these little divisions of people and what have you. That's the attitude that Paul is addressing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Paul said, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many, for we being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. So with that little introduction in mind and 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 i want to capitalize on the the scripture i just read communion literally means mutual participation it's mutual participation so let me begin with this and in, in, in romans chapter 6 paul said for he that is dead 
is free from sin. It's not a literal death. It's a spiritual death. Uh, dying out to carnality and having a rebirth of the spirit. So his death, the death of Jesus, to you and I, is symbolic when we are baptized. The Bible said we are buried with him in baptism. So when we are baptized, it's our way of accepting his death and then dying out to our own carnal nature. The Bible said, again, Paul said in Romans chapter 6, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So we mutually, as a group of people, participated in the breaking of Jesus in his death. We participated in the breaking of his body. And we show that by eating bread in the communion service, which represents his body. So when you partake of that bread, you're saying, this happened to me. I'm putting his experience into my body to show that I participated in his death. I accepted his death. I received his death. As we put the broken bread into our mouths to eat it, we are looking at it as a physical lesson that becomes a living parable. The broken bread is symbolic of how Jesus died. And what did he die for? Not himself. He died because our sins threw us into the death penalty. But he took our place. And his death is going to pay for it so that we could say we paid the price since we already died through Jesus. So eating that bread is believing this truth. It is like the bread is a message and your body is your belief in that message. You put this truth into your faith and you believe it with all of your heart. The problem is that the Corinthians looked at it as just mere food. It's just another occasion to eat. When in reality it is symbolic of the death of Jesus that occurred for you and I. When you realize what this enacts, then you could not be more serious about anything in your life because nothing is more important than what Jesus did to save you from your sin. It perfectly shows that we are all one bread, one body. So let's consider it this way. If I had brought a loaf of bread here tonight, a loaf of French bread, for example, one that is uncut, unsliced, and I begin to break it into pieces and and, and give it to people, and then they partake of it, and, and a number of people. So that in that moment, when those people are brought together, they cause that one loaf again to be present, just by them all being together. So when you partake of the bread that represents his body, and it becomes in you in the communion service, then all of us become one again. Because we have what represents him, his body, on the inside of us. The problem with the church at Corinth, and most all of you probably know it, is they were full of division. They were full of cliques. They all thought they some clique was better than the other clique. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth on the, the gifts of the Spirit. 
because you had people over here speaking in tongues and the people over here prophesying and people over here the gift of healing and the gift of faith and all that. And he lined them out again on how that operates because they were so cliquish and clannish. And they thought the same when it came to communion, that our clique is better than that clique. So when we take communion, we're more worthy than they are. Paul said, you're all unworthy of it. You're unworthily of it, I should say. The Bible intimates very strongly here, and I believe it, that when, when Paul talked, taught about the communion service, that you, everybody did the same thing at the same time. So it's not like a meal of roast rice and gravy and salad and green beans, and you have somebody over here taking a bite of salad, and somebody over here taking a bite of green beans, and somebody over taking some roast beef or whatever. They all partook of the bread together and they all took of the fruit of the vine together, symbolizing the one bread, the one bread principle that we're all doing this because we're acknowledging publicly that we believe in the death of Christ and what it, what it has accomplished in our life. Besides that, we want to be one body as he was, unbroken. It's interesting to me that they took the broken bread. And it unified them into one body. So they were supposed to drink at the same moment and eat at the same moment. To represent that every single one of them went to the same death of Jesus and received from it. And that's the way we do it here at Grace Church. We ask everybody to wait and we all partake of it together. So they were violating the idea of unity and mutual participation which is one of the things Jesus was after when he instructed his disciples to do it. I've got to keep you people unified. If I can keep the church unified, it can stay moving forward and nothing will be able to stop it. So instead of seeing it emphasized, they were all saved from the same death of Jesus, making them one body and one bread. They were separating themselves into groups of who was better than who. There was irreverence for the meaning of this amazing occasion. They disrespected the message. They were disrespecting the cross. So now let's continue on. Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. He plainly explained himself here. That eating literal flesh was not his point. But it was the words that came out of the flesh. It was the spirit that came out of that human body that was the point. So we do not teach nor believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. That when you put that wafer in, on, in, in your mouth, it literally becomes the body of Christ. And when you drink the fruit of the vine, it literally becomes the blood. I don't believe that. Those two items are symbolic of his body and his blood. Actual flesh does not give eternal life. It's the words that he speaks that gives eternal life. You'll notice in John chapter 6, verse 66, the Bible said, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son 
of the living God. So if you truly believe the only, the only eternal life is in Jesus Christ. You can't get eternal life from any other source. So if you truly believe the only eternal life is in Jesus Christ, then you will respect the communion supper and eat and drink it to respectfully proclaim to God the world, angels, demons, all of them alike, that you believe that Jesus paid the price for salvation when he died on the cross. If you believe he had to die on the cross, or you would never get to heaven, no matter how good you thought you were, then you're qualified to partake of communion. Who is worthy? While we're on that subject, who is worthy to partake of communion? In and of yourself, who's worthy? No one. It is the grace of God that makes us worthy. Everybody said amen. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul wrote, As it is written, there is none righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues they have used uh, deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth be, may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law, that is Old Testament law, is the knowledge of sin. Is the knowledge of sin. Is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that them that believe, for there is no difference. Paul did not say, and you'll see it on the screen, that even self-righteousness we gain through living perfect lives and making ourselves good. No, it's not what he said. But he went on to say, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon them that believe, do good deeds and never make mistakes. No, it's by believing. He said, verse 23, for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The whole point of the cross is that no one is worthy. But because of the cross, we can be free. The price Jesus paid on Calvary was not Paid for by our good works. And that is because everyone has gone out of the way and no one is worthy, Paul said. Let's go to the Garden of Eden for a moment. Let's go to the Garden of Eden for a moment. All the way back to the very beginning. If you turn left in your Bible and go all the way back to the first chapter, third chapter. By showing us what all this means, you can see a picture once again in our Bibles about the fruit of the tree of life 
that we may eat and live forever. You remember when God uh, put Adam and Eve out of the garden? The Bible said he put an angel to block the way to the tree of life, lest anyone eat and live forever. Had anyone eaten of that tree, they would live forever in a sinful condition. So God blocked the way to it. But he didn't block the way the tree of knowledge of good and evil as we know. The truth of the matter is that when people have made us focus on whether or not you are worthy or not, instead of showing us that none are worthy anyway, because that is the whole point of him going to the cross and doing the work that he did to save us, that was the point. That's what makes us worthy. There's nothing we did. God didn't look at one single person on this planet and say, you know, that is a really a good person. I am really impressed with them people. I think I'm going to go die for them. Why do we think the way we do sometimes, especially as Pentecostals? We live holiness and, and we live the fruit of the Spirit. And somehow or another, we think that because we're so good, it gives us some level of entitlement or whatever. When actually people who teach that have handed us the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve partake, partook of knowledge of good and evil, it kicked them out of the garden. They were not able to partake of the tree of life. So what God did at Calvary is saying, leave the knowledge of good and evil alone. You just pursue the tree of life and you're going to be okay. It's an amazing principle in Genesis chapter 3 that, that winds its way through the Bible all the way to the New Testament into our communion service. The thing that God wants you to know when you partake of communion is you had nothing to do with that sacrifice. And the only reason you've been born again is out of the mercy and kindness and grace of God. That's it. That's the tree of life. That's the fruit of the tree of life. The knowledge of good and evil tells you that I can do this myself. And it threw them out. It'll throw you out. Everybody say amen. So it's not a matter of our good or evil works. It's a matter of him giving us life by his work. So see how people have been handing out forbidden fruit. Leaving people feeling unworthy as the person that I referenced a little while ago. Cannot tell you how often I think of this and feel completely heartsick of this person never partaken of communion one time because they felt unworthy, which made this person think, well, they must be better than me. Look how worthy they are, and I'm not. That's the knowledge of good and evil. So when you don't discern the Lord's body, you do not respect the fact that we needed his goodness because our goodness could never be enough, ever. Because one does not see it as a matter of worth, you have to see it as a matter of new birth. Your partaking in communion is not a matter of your worth. 
It's a matter of you being born again. And just because you're a child of God gives you a welcome mat to the communion service. And you only have the new birth experience because of what he did. So we have to die out to our flesh and be born again to get to heaven. Not be perfect in all your deeds and actions. The fruit of knowledge of good and evil actually removes the necessity or seeing the necessity of new birth. That's what that kind of teaching does. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They got knowledge of good and evil. The devil never tried to point them towards a tree of life. He steered them away. And he does that with people today. We need to be born again because we are unworthy. The new birth gives us our worth, not our good deeds. I don't care how holy you think you are and how perfect you think you live. That will never make you worthy to partake in the communion service. It's a new birth experience with a humble attitude of thanksgiving. If it was a matter of good deeds, we would never be born again, but we would just keep trying harder to do good things. But when it becomes new birth, our old lives have died, and all its unworthiness was buried, and we were made new creatures just by being born again. We are now made worthy of his good deed, dying on the cross. So do not respect, disrespect, do not disrespect his body and blood. Do not disrespect his need to die. The Old Testament law had a propensity about it that by getting righteous was by doing good deeds. Paul said in Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Do not disrespect the death of Jesus by thinking salvation is a matter of how good and how worthy we are in and of ourselves. Don't make his death in vain by stressing what good works we need to do. Yes, we need to live right. Yes, we need to live right. But heaven can never be bought by your good deeds. If you reject Jesus and his death on the cross, watch this. Jesus said in John six fifty four, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. When you partake of his death and what Calvary has done in our lives, then the Bible said he will raise you up in that day. You're, you have become a child of God. Again, I remind you in 1 Corinthians 11, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Unworthily. Bad attitude. Bad spirit. You think because you're better than everybody else. I'm going to trot up here on that Sunday in January, and I'm going to show everybody how good I am. and just I'm just going to slurp it down. Keep your seat. You'll be better off to walk out the door than to come up here and do it that way. Because Jesus said, when you do that, you are bringing damnation to yourself. And he said, for this cause, many are weak. There are people that, that partake in communion. They do it with a bad attitude. And it makes them weak. It makes them sick. It makes them lethargic spiritually. You judge yourself when it comes to communion. <clears throat> I 
ask people typically when we do the communion service to take a look at yourself. I'll usually announce it a week out and say prepare for this coming Sunday. We're partaking in communion. If you got something over hanging over your head, tell Jesus about it. He's faithful and just to forgive sin when you ask him. So get your heart right with God, get your attitude right, and come on up here and let's rejoice together in our new birth experience and partaking in communion. If you can't do it that way, keep your seat. You're better off to keep your seat. This isn't a traditional formality. This is biblical and it is very important to Jesus. You don't do what he did on Calvary without putting some priority on it. You go do something like that and then let people make it trivial and see what you think. So what is given to you is not life when you have a bad attitude. You're not going to get life out of it, but just knowledge of good and evil. The only thing that gives death and not life is the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. And God said that. So imagine religion replacing the fruit of life with the fruit of death at the most precious living parable occasion we have in symbolic form, and that is communion. So taking the cross and twisting it to promote your good deeds and take you to heaven rather than his good deeds you could never do to go to heaven is exchanging the fruit of life for the fruit of death. I want to conclude on one more point. I've got two minutes and 12, 11, 10 seconds. Do not judge someone else partaking in communion. Don't hold your fruit of the vine in your little wafer and say, what is she doing up there? She's nothing but a nasty old low down. You just killed your communion service. You keep your eyeballs in the back of your own head. And if you want to judge anybody, we'll pass you out a mirror. Hello? You keep your heart right. You keep your nose clean. I want to encourage our parents with younger children. I love for our kids to participate. I love for them. I want them to learn communion. I want them to understand what it's about. I want them to understand how to reverence it and respect it. So you teach your children. They're not in here tonight. So parents, you teach your children when we have communion. That you don't go up there hopping and giggling like it's a picnic. You're not going to Gaddy's for pizza buffet. You're not going to go in the little game room when it's over. This is serious. This is talking about Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood for you. I'd love to see some of our kids receive the Holy Ghost in the communion service. They need to be touched by it. And they will follow your example. If you're frivolous about it, they'll be frivolous about it. But if you're serious in reverence and you coach them properly then they'll understand the importance and reverence of it. I don't want our children to be misled or deceived in any way, shape, or form about the communion service. It'll be up to you parents to teach them what it's all about. Don't tell them they can't do it because they're not worthy. You encourage them to participate and then teach them the value of it and how to respect it. I've just about run out of things to say, and I've got 20 seconds left. I don't know what to do here. I'm at an impasse. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I hope you've received it. And uh, so when we do the communion service, those of you here tonight, please bring this to remembrance. When you come up here, and I'll remind you, you come respectfully with a good attitude and don't ever think you're not worthy. You just don't want to come unworthily. 
understand the difference between, between those two words. God bless you tonight. It's great to see everybody. It's Christmas time. There's a lot of things you could be doing tonight, but you chose to be here. Thank you for that. We appreciate it so very much. God bless you. Get up and walk around and fellowship with one another. Say some nice things to some people. And uh, God bless you, and we'll see you. We have somebody right now that don't know if they're dismissed or not. Sister Bonnie, you're good to go. You have something important to say to somebody, so go ahead and go. God bless you guys. Love you. See you Sunday. <laughs>